Our first reading this morning comes from the book of the prophet Jeremiah, the 28th chapter. The prophet Jeremiah spoke to the prophet Hananiah in the presence of the priests and all the people who were standing in the house of the Lord. And the prophet Jeremiah said, Amen. May the Lord do so. May the Lord fulfill the word that you have prophesied and bring back to this place from Babylon the vessels of the house of the Lord and all the exiles. But listen now to this word that I speak in your hearing and in the hearing of all the people. The prophets who preceded you and me from ancient times, they prophesied war, famine, and pestilence against many countries and great kingdoms. But as for the prophet who prophesies peace, when the word of that prophet comes true, then it will be known that the Lord has truly sent the prophet. People of God, let us join now together and uh, read responsibly the words of Psalm 89. Your love, O Lord, forever will I sing. From age to age, my mouth will proclaim your faithfulness. For I am persuaded that your steadfast love is established forever. You have set your faithfulness firmly in the heavens. I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn an oath to David, my servant. I will establish your line forever and preserve your throne for all generations. Happy are the people who know the feastal shout. They walk, O Lord, in the light of your presence. They rejoice daily in your name. They are jubilant in your righteousness. For you are the glory of their strength, and by your favor our might is exalted. Truly our shield belongs to the Lord, our King to the Holy One of Israel. Our second lesson this morning comes from the letter to the Romans, the sixth chapter. Do not let sin exercise dominion in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions. No longer present your members to sin as instruments of wickedness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death into life and present your members to God as instruments of righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. What then? Should we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you, having once been slaves of sin, have become obedient from the heart to the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. And that you, having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to greater and greater iniquity, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness for sanctification. When you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. So what advantage did you then get from the things of which you now are ashamed? The end of those things is death. But now that you have been freed from sin and enslaved to God, the advantage you get is sanctification. The end is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
The Holy Gospel this morning, according to St. Matthew, the 10th chapter. Glory, Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus said to the twelve, Whoever welcomes you welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. Whoever welcomes a prophet in the name of a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And whoever welcomes a righteous person in the name of a righteous person will receive the reward of the righteous. And whoever gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones in the name of a disciple, truly I tell you, none of these will lose their reward. People of God, this is the gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. You join me now for a word of prayer. Almighty God, in the face of sin which leads to death, you give us the gift of goodness, of mercy, of forgiveness, and of righteousness, all which point to you, the source and the substance of eternal life. Strengthen us by these promises in the face of sin and death that we may trust in you above all things. Lift us up by this word and by the power of your spirit to follow you as faithful disciples and to share the good news of resurrection with the whole world. All these things and all the things of our hearts we lift before you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. For three weeks in a row, our readings from Matthew's gospel have all come from one long teaching uh, through Matthew, uh, Matthew 9 and 10, and they've been broken into three parts, one leading right up to the other. Two weeks ago, we hear Jesus tell his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest that he would send out laborers into his harvest. He then told his disciples to go out, healing the sick, cleansing lepers, raising the dead, and casting out demons leaving home and property to do so. Last week, Jesus lays out what kind of response the disciples might expect as they labor for the kingdom. Do not think that I have come to bring peace on earth. I have not come to bring peace but a sword. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up the cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Those who find their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. Jesus understands that through all of this, we, his disciples, would be the answer to our own prayer that God would send out laborers into the harvest. Now as he comes to the end of his instruction, the disciples finally get a glimpse at what their labor will yield. In spite of heavy, almost overwhelming resistance, some will welcome you. Some will welcome you as a prophet, condemning the injustices which afflict God's people, calling for reform to advocate for God's desired wholeness in creation. And they will receive a prophet's reward. Others will welcome you as righteous people, People who live righteously, people of character, people of virtue, people who have dedicated their entire being to following God's call above all else. 
bringing the reform that the prophet calls for into existence through an upright life. And those who welcome the righteous will receive the reward of the righteous. These and others will then be transformed by your prophetic righteousness, looking beyond themselves to give freely and generously to even the least of these. The young, the old, the impoverished, people of color, foreigners, anyone who is vulnerable and disenfranchised within a society. And there it is, the first glimpse into God's kingdom taking root and hold in this world as we disciples labor in God's harvest. After two weeks of uphill discipleship, it feels good for Jesus to take a moment and remind us that our labor is not in vain. That it's all worth something. That, that there's a reward for it all. But of course, as is often the case with Jesus, nothing is ever truly what it seems at face value. Because in Matthew chapters 5 and 13 and 23, Jesus recalls that a prophet's reward is persecution and rejection and death. We look to Jesus and we see the reward of the righteous person as he healed the sick and cleansed the lepers and raised the dead and cast out demons. His ministry was met with only mockery, betrayal, crucifixion, and death. And we are told to pick up our own crosses and to follow him. We've already heard the disciples' reward. Division, heartache, ostracism from one's family and community. All because of Jesus. This is our reward as people of God. Don't think that our reward is an eternal rest by the beaches of heaven. We can't earn that, even if we try. But we also remember that a reward is different than an inheritance. Our eternal rest, our never-ending life of praise and worship is given to each and every one of us freely through the waters of baptism, given to us when we were at our least, raising us up to become God's best. Make no mistake, the reward of the righteous prophetic disciple is the cost of faithfully and obediently following Jesus. But the greatest gift, the greatest gift has already been given. And it comes to the empty tomb of Jesus' resurrection and our baptism into his crucifixion and death. A welcome reward indeed. A word about what it means to be welcome. To welcome someone as a prophet or a righteous person or in the name of a disciple. Think about when you're a guest in someone's home. They take your coat, they invite you into their space, maybe offer a meal and a time of fellowship with you. Eventually, that time of welcome comes to an end. As the table is cleaned, you grab your coat and you head back to your own space, wherever that may be. All wonderful, all appropriate signs of hospitality, but not at all what Jesus is talking about here. 
to engage with a prophetic righteous disciple is not something which can be opted into and out of at our own personal preference. It's not something that we can go into and then leave. To be welcoming in the biblical sense goes beyond gracious hospitality by embracing and incorporating that person into your life as if they are members of your own family. Claiming their message, their character, and their mission as if it were your own. One who truly embraces a prophet becomes a prophet. One who truly embraces a righteous person becomes a righteous person. One who truly offers comfort to another because of a disciple has become a disciple. One's entire being is changed in receiving and being received and thereby the world around us is transformed into a glimpse of God's reign in Christ Jesus. That's what happens when, when we welcome one another for a time of worship. We trust and believe that the Holy Spirit envelops us so deeply and fully in the life of God's people that when we leave this space, God's presence and Christ's mission become our own to carry into the world for the sake of the Lord's harvest. What we do in welcoming people to worship God alongside us goes beyond a greeting. Our lives are changed because the Spirit binds us closer than a, hey, how are you, will ever begin to cover. What does it mean then that so many congregations describe ourselves as welcoming? Do we really embrace people into the prophetic witness that Christ calls us to participate in? We must move beyond the warm greeting handshake, even though that's not kosher right now. There's things which we do so well and become more emboldened to share the good news of the life that Christ Jesus offers to us by offering the cold waters of baptism which sustain and hold us dear to those who have not yet experienced the goodness of God in Jesus. We must dedicate ourselves to helping one another grow and be formed in the faith, not just for our own learning, but for those who we call neighbor and friend. We must dedicate ourselves to building up community in Christ, not just with one another, but also with the people who we encounter in our daily labor. We must commit ourselves to sharing the good news of the gospel by offering aid and respite to those whom our world considers the least among us, knowing and trusting that in God's eyes and in ours, their life is of more value than many sparrows. We cannot continue to call ourselves disciples if we stop short of making other disciples. Inviting them to join God's work in and through us by the power of the Holy Spirit. We know that not all will welcome such a call. But to those who do receive it, to those who do embrace it, they will do so in the name of the prophet, the righteous person, the disciple of Christ that you are. And because they have welcomed you, 
have welcomed the one who sent you. And the one who sent him, says Jesus. Their lives and the lives of their neighbors transformed by God's reign in their being. What Jesus offers at the end of today's reading is a promise. Whoever welcomes you, welcomes me. We will never be received as prophets if we refuse to reach out to offer a word of hope to those who are oppressed. We can never expect to be received as righteous people if we never take our character and our virtue out of our private moments and into the public view so that the hope that the prophet calls for becomes realized in the life of God's people. We will never be received as a disciple of Jesus Christ if we refuse to go out and make other disciples, offering the gifts of God to a people yearning for the water that quenches all thirst, begging to be cleansed from this world's brokenness and death through the sustaining waters of baptism. The harvest is indeed plentiful, and the laborers are few. It's hard work to gather in a harvest. Believe me, I know. But at least we know the work that's laid out ahead of us. At least we know what it will cost. At least we know God has given us every good gift that we need to labor for life and for godliness. And at least we know that we don't labor alone. And that is a welcome reward. Amen.